Well, today as we look at God's Word, we want to focus on the Word of God. I don't want an actual answer, but let me ask this question. How significant is this book in your life? I trust that this is the most valuable possession that, other than Christ that we have. So a lot of what I'm going to preach today is not going to be anything new. It's going to be a reminder. But can you imagine not having a Bible? As we, had, we shared in Sunday School this morning, a video. I don't know what the percentage of the world is, but I believe a good portion of the world today doesn't even have a Bible. We have the whole Bible. Some, as one gentleman shared, he was a deacon in a church, talking to somebody, I don't know exactly who it was. He said, why is that you're a deacon and you don't know these stories? The only part of the Bible he had was the Gospel of John. He said, write these stories down because I want to tell my people this is in the Bible. So we need to really appreciate the Word of God. I trust there's no doubt in your mind that this book is from God. It is His Word. And I think kind of what adds some credence to that is the fact that this is probably the only Bible in the world that's, or the only book in the world that's hated. Been trying to be stamped out, burned out, thrown away. And there are men and women on this planet that if they could eliminate this Bible completely from society, they would do it. But I want you to take time, please, today to read the Bolton insert here and appreciate Bibles International and their ministry. They're not the only ones, obviously, that are translating the Bible into other languages. Uh, there's many others, but it's one that we're familiar with. But 4,000 of 7,000 don't have any written scriptures. And we probably take for granted that we have the Bible. As far as I know, in America, it's still the number one selling book. I would not be surprised, though, if that has not changed. <laughs> but, well, we as believers, we must ask ourselves, how much do we appreciate it? Fairly easy to determine. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 1. In fact, it's just a little side note here about Psalm 119. Ray read 16 verses of that this morning. It is the longest psalm in the Bible, or longest chapter. 150, I think, 176 verses, I think, if I remember correctly. That whole chapter is about the Word of God and the author's love for this book. Psalm 1 verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. What do we meditate on day and night? What's on our minds most of the time? It should be the Word of God. I'm sure it's not for any of us, not even myself. The Bible's not on my mind 24-7. I just thank God. I've had the privilege of being able to preach and teach from this book for almost 34 years. I know what it's done in my life. I know what's in life and life of my family. And it's amazing. And I've had the privilege of being able to take people to this book and see their lives transformed and find peace and hope that they could find nowhere else. 
We need to be meditating on the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, while you're turning there, not to gross you out, but I just, just to get the point. Because I, I need to be reminded of my, this myself. The word meditate in the original language means a cow chewing its cud. You ever see a cow chew its cud? It just, and when I was on a dairy farm, they were just always chewing on something. They would swallow that into their, and they got four chambers in their stomach. They would swallow it, and it'd go into one chamber, and after it's been there a while, they burp it up, and they chew it some more. Then they swallow it again, and I don't know how many times they go through that until they're, they've gotten all the possible nutrients out of that cud, then they spit it out. You see how the application fits with the Word of God? Meditate on the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the Word... Oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. Um, yeah, 2 Timothy 4.2, I'm right. Um, preach the Word to be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, re and with all long suffering and teaching. That's not the verse I wanted. But that's one, that's one of the verses I was going to use, but it's not the one I was looking for. Um, I was looking for the one that says meditate. Well, we looked at the one in Psalm. But why do we want to meditate on it? Now, I, I want to understand this because there are some people that read their Bible every day, but like it's a lucky charm. This book is not a lucky charm. I wish it was because there's people walking to the hospital and they're, they're sick and I just wave the Bible over them and, and they'll heal. And there'll be some that almost believe that literally. Then there's some that come into my office with all kinds of problems. And I just, it'd be, wouldn't it be nice if I could just wave the Bible overhead and the magic of the Bible will take care of it? If you want to put it in the form of magic, the magic is this. We learn what the Word of God says. We love God enough to obey that. And that's what makes the transformation. And how many of you got photographic memories? You never forget a thing. So we have to constantly go back to the Bible to constantly refresh our memories because every day the temptations are there. And so we need to be ready to preach the Word. We need to be preached to. I hope that's why you're here today. <laughs> but there's a right way and a wrong way too to preach it, isn't there? But we need to be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. 2 Timothy 3.17 Another reason we want the Word of God is because the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you realize we can be a very, very good philanthropist and do a lot of very good deeds and still die and go to hell? God wants us to do good things because of our love for Him, not to earn our way into heaven because that's an impossibility. But the Word of God teaches us that. Then Psalm 119.11, which was read, we won't turn there, but thy word have I hid my heart, that I might not sin against thee. When Jesus Christ himself was tempted by Satan, what was his defense against the temptation of sin? He quoted the scriptures. He knew what the Bible said, this is what I must do, this is what I must not do, and I'm going to obey this. Why? Because he loved his heavenly Father. I think we'd all agree that love is a, a major motivating force in our lives. But is our love a love for God or is my love for me? 
Because I've got to admit, when I'm not loving him, you know who I'm loving? I'm loving me. And that gets me into trouble. How about you? It makes me selfish. It makes me grumpy because you're not doing what I want. But when I do it for him, then that enables me to put my wife next and my daughter and my kids and the grandkids and you guys. And that puts me at the bottom of the rung. And those of us that do that, isn't it amazing how much we can find more peace and more joy when we put ourselves last instead of putting ourselves first? Where do we learn all this? From the Word of God. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We, we read one verse already, but I want to focus on this for a few moments because this is my favorite passage in regard to the Word of God. Again, it's not new. We've heard this before, but I, I need this reminder, and so you're just going to have to bear with me while I remind myself. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. I don't know about you, but I like that word. <laughs> I like to be profitable, don't you? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What's amazing about this book, it is from God Himself. Now, perhaps you've got someone that's very special. You have a, a grandmother or, or a grandfather or a great aunt or an aunt or somebody that's really special to you. And when that letter comes in the mail, you can't wait to rip it open and see what they got to say. Anybody got a lot like that? My grandmother was very special to me and my grandparents. And when I was in Bible college, she would write me a letter now and again. And I don't know what there was about it, but it was just, I couldn't wait to get that letter open. Then there was somebody else I met, and, and she became extra more special. And when we weren't seeing each other in college, we wrote a letter every day. And that was my wife before we got married. And when that letter came in the mail, and it was there every day, and if it wasn't there, my day wasn't right. Now, when we first started off, it was kind of a goofy thing. Uh, one of them, she gave it to me in a puzzle. It took me about three hours to get it together so I could read it, you know. Um, but I got it together, and I read it. I took all that time to put it together and read it. But you know what I'm talking about. It's something special. Folks, this book comes from God himself. This is more special than those love letters that my wife, and we still have them. They're in the basement, over 360 apiece. Now, we've never gone back and read them. But this one I read every day, almost every day. Because this comes from a loving God. And this is what I need to develop my relationship with Him. And I need to meditate on it. Think about it. Dwell on it. Memorize it. There's 66 books here by 40 authors. And in all these books, they don't contradict themselves. It says it's given. All Scripture is given by inspiration, which means God breathed. Let's turn to Second Peter and get an idea what that God breathed means. Because there are individuals out there with man just wrote this book. God did use men to write these books. There's no question about that. There's no denying that. In fact, Second Peter. We call it Second Peter because Peter wrote it. 
2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now that word moved is a sailor's term. When you put the sail up on a ship, the wind gets a hold of that sail, it moves the ship. These men were moved by God. And God allowed them, and, and amazing, I cannot imagine Peter writing a book with perfect grammar. You know why? He was a fisherman. You think a fisherman's language was probably the best grammar in the world? I've been through high school, I've been through college, and my grammar is still not good. But when he wrote the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, his grammar was perfect. His punctuation was perfect. The words were perfect. Why? Because God moved him to make sure that we had the scriptures in complete accuracy. That's just Peter. There are others. There's one, he was more... Um, Luke, he was probably more precise, and we have more detail in the book of Luke because he was a man that paid attention to details. But he used these men to write the scripture so that we can trust it explicitly. It is 100% accurate. And these translators, when they translate the scriptures, they start with the Greek. Now, believe it or not, there's some out there that believe that if we're going to translate the scriptures, we've got to start with the King James Version and translate it into another language. I don't know where they're coming from on that because there's no inspired translation. But there is an inspired scriptures. I wish we had the originals, but we don't. Man would probably worship them if we did. <laughs> That's why we don't have them. But God in his sovereignty, and he wants us to have the truth, has protected it. And so they take the original Greek and the, and the, and the Hebrew, and they translate it into all these other native languages to make it as accurate as possible. And God guides all that process too. The source of the Bible is God. This is a living book because the author is still alive. It says inspired. Now that can mean a lot to a lot of people because there's people, um, in fact on Fox News it seems like every day they're, they're featuring some book that somebody was inspired to write. There was some event that took place in their life and they wrote it down and they were inspired by that. And some of them are very good I'm sure. But this inspiration is not that at all. It means it's God-breathed. The source is originally from God. And that enables us to trust it explicitly and know that it's good. I, mean, I guess you could look at it this way. We'll, we'll probably repeat ourselves again here a little bit later. But How many of us want to enjoy life to the fullest? Who doesn't? Here's the owner's manual. Now, when you buy a car, you buy an appliance, you buy something, you get an owner's manual, right? Now, we guys don't do this very well, do we? When all else fails, read the instructions, right? <laughs> Why are we so stupid? <laughs> when we have the rules right here, all we got to do is read it. And apply it. And it works. But when all else fails, now we'll go to the Bible. We've got to wait till we get into a desperate situation. 
And then God can straighten us out. We let him straighten us out. But it says here it's profitable. And again, I think it's significant that of all the books that have ever been written, this one is hated the most. Why? Because it tells us things that we don't want to hear. This book is going to, well, we'll look at it as we go along here, and it's profit. It's profitable. It's for our benefit. It says very specifically. It's beneficial for doctrine. Now, what's that mean, the word doctrine? It simply means everything we need to learn in life and do it right is found in this book. If everybody in the world was practicing this book, we'd be living in a utopia. But because man wants to do things his own, and I remind you, go clear back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Why did Adam and Eve disobey God? They wanted to be like God. And from the day that we're conceived in our mother's womb, and for the, to the day we breathe our last breath, what are we striving to do every day? Live life the way I want. I want to be my own God. I want to do things my own way. How's that working out for us? Is this world getting better or worse? Because we're getting farther and farther from this book. If we don't practice the principles in this book, the doctrine that's taught here, we will have no sound reasoning. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says that because of that, God turns man over to a depraved mind and their thoughts are futile. They're worthless. They're not going to work. I believe that's why I'm very, very concerned about America. We used to be the most godliest nation on the face of the earth. We are not there anymore. We are fast slipping away from God. That's why we have the president we have. And I love our president. I pray for him. I know God's got him there. But we're getting farther and farther away from God. And so we don't have sound judgment anymore. Because we need good sound doctrine. Our marriages can be fixed overnight. Our families can be strengthened. Oh, can you imagine what would happen if this, the representatives, our congressmen and our senators would sit down and say, let's try doing things God's way? Because the instructions are here from the Word of God as to what our government is supposed to be doing for us. Our churches would be stronger and healthier. History can be turned around. In fact, you look at history. The Roman Empire was a very ungodly nation. And it was over a period of time that Christianity began to really have an effect. For one reason, the Roman Empire kind of faded away. We need the same thing here in America. What about our thought life? That's where all sin starts, isn't it, right here? Where's our mind? What are we thinking about most of the time? The Bible says, put off, put on. Get rid of that thought, replace it with this one. Our personal issues. You got any? <laughs> yeah, we all do. He just <laughs> Mark says too. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot more of that, don't we, Mark? <laughs> How do we relate to people? If, see, if I'm relating to me all the time, I'm not going to relate to somebody else. In fact, we talked about Paul this morning. How could Paul have so many friends? 
Because life was not about Paul. Life was about Christ, and life was about you. Now, sometimes he spoke pretty blunt. But he didn't want you to miss the point. As Mike showed us in 1 Corinthians 5. Here's a believer in a Christian church, and of course, we've got to understand Corinth was probably one of the most corrupt cities in all of that area. A thousand prostitutes endorsed by the temple was satisfactory behavior. That's what these Christians were getting saved out of. But there's one of them that was sleeping with his mother. And you're bragging about it. Uh, something's wrong here. <laughs> he was pretty blunt. He didn't make any pulling punches about it. But then how about our employee-employer situation? Our jobs could be a whole lot better if things are being done in a godly manner. How about our work ethics? I know Dave's asked me, and I've heard others ask, do you know anybody out there looking for a good job as a hard worker? They're hard to find these days. They really are. I've heard, had many ask you, you ain't got anybody in your church that's looking for a good work, a good work that's a good worker? I can't find anybody I can keep more than a month. That, or even when he does come, they won't work when they do get there. The Word of God would change that. How about leadership abilities? I believe every Christian is expected to be a leader of some sort. Just on different levels. But how do we do that? The Bible tells us. Stewardship. How do we take care of the things that we have? God's blessed us in this country. Even though we are not very sound financially right now, we're still blessed, aren't we? Anybody go hungry lately? Everybody got a roof over their head? Warm home? Enough clothes to stay dressed? Got automobiles that got us here? We're blessed. We may not have every luxury that we want, but we're blessed. But do we know how to take care of it? Do we know how to appreciate it? The Bible teaches us that. That's doctrine. What about the future? Anybody concerned about the future? Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about it. But you know one that keeps me from panicking about the future? The God of this book has got that future under control. See, I've read the last chapter. You have too. The book of Revelation. We know how it's going to end. And I'm on the winning side. Because I've put my faith and trust in the shed blood of Christ. This is all doctrine. What about our health? Does the Bible say anything about our health? It sure does. <laughs> the Bible says very clear some things that we should not be eating or we should not be overeating. There's some things we shouldn't be drinking. And amazingly, that if we are obeying this book and loving God, our health will be much better. Doctor statistics show that 90% of the things that we go to the doctor for is brought on by stress. Now, I do want to say this. Not every time we get sick is because of stress. But if you are allowing yourself to be in a long-term stressful lifestyle, it is going to dramatically affect your health. There's no way you can avoid it. Your body can only take just so much. And it will affect you. 
See how important doctrine is? It covers every area of our lives. It's our owner's manual to live life to the most enjoyable level of peace and joy that we can possibly enjoy. And it's still not going to be perfect because unfortunately I can't get rid of that sin nature. I can't get rid of mine completely. But I've come to realize that one reason God did not take that sin nature away from me is because in order for me to prove my love for Him, I have to have a choice. And if I choose to love Him, I'm going to obey that book. But if I choose to love myself, I'm going to disobey that book. That's Mark 12, 30, our, our key verse in this, this church. I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That's our number one priority. So no matter what's going on in our life, no matter how dark and bleak it looks, if we will go to this book and commit ourselves to obeying it completely, our lives, our marriages, our personal lives, our finances, whatever it is, will be turned around completely. That's why in the community here, we offer marriage classes because there's a lot of marriages out there that are in trouble. That's why we offer parenting classes because the, parent, the, the family's only as strong as the parent that knows how to, to raise their children godly. And then we offer financial classes that Mike teaches. Praise the Lord, we got some families in the church that have gotten themselves completely out of debt. In fact, these guys just bought a house. <laughs> Largely from what they learned from Mike in those classes. Doctrine. It's profitable for every area of our life. Now the next one, we don't like this too well, but it's there. It's profitable for reproof. How many of us like to be told you're doing wrong? When you read the Bible, do you pick up the Bible and say, Lord, I know there's something wrong in my life. Show me what it is today. But how many of us like a friend of mine, Romy Bennett? My first exposure to him was, uh, and I wish y'all could meet Romy. He was a unique character. I was at his brother's because I was just a new pastor at Huttonsville. I was visiting the homes, and I was talking to his brother, Ronnie, and we were got talking about the Bible somehow there. And, and, and I heard this voice that I didn't even know he was there. He was in the bedroom, and it was, the door was closed, but, and it was dark in there. And I heard this voice going, so there's some parts of the Bible I don't like. And he came out of the room, and that's when I met Romy for the first time. And he said, because there's some parts of the Bible tell me things I don't want to hear. just being honest. So I avoid those. Uh, praise the Lord, over a period of time that changed. <laughs> Romy was a believer, but he just struggled with life. I want some things my way. And the Bible says I can't do this, and I'm not, I'm just, it's like he's taking a little pen knife, I'm going to cut this verse out. Now you won't do that literally, but if you're ignoring the truth of that, you might as well do that. Reproof. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. The Bible is very clear that we reap what we sow. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. But in due season, if we reap, we will not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. 
Nine times out of ten, the problem we get ourselves into, we have no one to blame but me. I caused this problem myself. I chose to be disobedient to the Word of God. And so we need to, as hard as it may be, when we're in the middle of reading God's Word and the Word of God is clear that I have sinned, we need to say, thank you, God, for showing me that. Because that means now I, I know it's wrong and I can stop it. But too many times we're saying I'm selfish and I want to continue. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. We're living in a culture where man does not know how to think soundly. Selfish in their thinking. Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we correct the way this brain thinks? We have to go to the book and learn, all right, this is what I'm doing wrong. We'll look at another verse here in a moment in regard to that. But I'm thinking wrong here, and this is how I need to be thinking. The Word of God is what changes the way we think. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This is another powerful verse in regard to the Word of God. Because he's going to reprove us and he's going to correct us. We'll get into that a little bit more in a moment. But look at this. For consider him who endured such hostility for sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy now. My son, do not despise the chastened Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? When was the last time you thanked God for spanking you? He does, doesn't he? We don't like it. But what's that proof of? In spite of my sin, God still loves me. Isn't that amazing? On our worst day, stop and think about when you had your worst day. You were grumpy from the time you rolled out of bed. You bit your wife's head off. You know, you kicked the cat across the floor. And things just did not go very well all day long. And it didn't get any better until you went to bed at night. It was just a really, really bad day. How much did God love you when you hit that pillow at night? It remained 100% all day long. We should find some comfort in that. That's what we find here taught in the Word of God. That should motivate us. Now Hebrews 4.12. This is the other verse I was thinking of in regard to the power of God's Word. 
Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what that verse says? When you know the word of God and you know you've disobeyed it, it's going to cut you to the heart. Y'all experience that? Yeah, you know. It cuts us right to the heart. We know that we've disobeyed the word of God and God won't let it go easy. He's going to keep gnawing on us and whipping us. In fact, I believe this. I believe God is gracious. He might start out pretty simple. I might lose a little peace. And if I don't listen to that, He's going to allow something else to happen. And if I don't listen to that, it's going to get worse and worse and worse <coughs> until I finally sit up and take notice. And, 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 and maybe you've done this. Have you ever woke up one morning and say, how did I get myself here? Uh, that song that Stephanie sang, The Slow Fade. That's what it's all about. For correction. God does not leave us there. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. He'll show us where we're wrong, but He loves us enough He's going to show us how to fix it. All comes from the Bible. If you would come to me for counseling, I'm not taking you to any psychology book. I'm taking you to the Word of God because it's the only thing that's guaranteed to work. Ephesians 4, 21-32. If indeed... You have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We got to retrain the way the gray matter works. And then it says, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Only the Bible can do that. That's interesting. Several years back, we were using some videos to help strengthen our marriages, and it was by Gary Small, and they were very good. But I also noticed on television, there's this female psycho psychological doctor, I forget her name now, but she was selling these videos that uh, was guaranteed to fix your marriage and improve your marriage. And she was not a Christian. It was just a secular thing. And she said she did this, this extensive survey of successful marriages and pulled all this information together and now she teaches these things so that marriages can get stronger and, and be healed and be good. So I went on the website to find out what she was teaching. You know what she was teaching that worked? Everything she was teaching was a biblical principle. She was teaching the Bible and didn't know it. That's why it was working. She was using biblical principles. In all her survey on marriages that worked, she had discovered these people that were applying biblical principles and it was making their marriages great. She probably would have cringed as she realized she was teaching biblical principles. <laughs> but put off, put on. The Bible clearly teaches us to repent of our sins. That means if, you're, if this is not working... Repent. This is not working. It's sin. Let's turn around and go the other direction and do it God's way. Because there's only two ways to go, isn't there? You're going to do it Satan's way or we're going to do it God's way. 
God's way is guaranteed to work. So if what we're doing is not working, let's go to the Word of God and find out what is working. And then we have to be constantly in the Word of God to maintain. Again, we have to look at this book like it's a love letter because it is. God loves us. He wants us to enjoy life to its fullest. And because that, my sin nature and your sin nature is the same way as like an artesian well. Y'all know what that is, right? You know what an artesian well is? It, it, it's a hole in the ground where the water just keeps coming up. It never stops. It's just always bubbling up out of the ground. It never ends. My sin nature is the same way. It just keeps bubbling up. And the only way I can cork it is put the Word of God on it as a cork. I'm going to plug it up with the Word of God. I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to do this sin. I'm going to keep obeying the Word. And that keeps a cork on the sin nature. It keeps it under control. But without the Word of God, I can't do that. i got to know what the truth is. And i got to live by that truth. We don't need to be worried about the other religions out there, philosophies. We need to just simply appreciate the Word of God for what it is. And everyone that chooses to live by the Word of God, they're going to have a much more enjoyable life. Now, I will tell you, don't expect your life to get perfect, because it won't. But I guarantee you, by God's promise, if you start practicing the Word of God, life will get better. Because I am, by obeying this book, I'm eliminating my consequences of sin. What makes my life so miserable? The consequences of my sin keep stacking up and piling up. It says that the man of God, back to 2 Timothy 4.12. Uh, where are we? 2 Timothy 4, not 12. Where are we at? 16, 316. That the man of God. Now I'm sure none of us here want to really say that, yeah, I'm a man of God. <laughs> but anyone who's doing their best to love God and obedient to, obedient to the Word of God, God considers them a man of God. God does not expect us to be perfect. But it's our choice. It's not something that's going to happen automatically. We have to choose. The world wants to believe that there's certain things that we do just because it's in our DNA. And in a sense, there's truth. Because you know what's in our DNA? Sin. All of our DNA is corrupted by sin. And so when they say that the homosexual is, is just doing what comes by nature, in a sense, they're right. Because I believe I could choose to be a homosexual just like them. It's a choice. I choose other sins. Is that natural? Yeah, it is. It's a natural man. That's the way the Bible puts it. But I have a choice. And when I know that this book says, this sinful behavior, this attitude, these words I speak, these thoughts I think, these things that I do are contrary to the Word of God and I choose not to do that, I'm doing so because I love you, God. 
And because I love you, I'm going to claim your promises. You said if I don't obey these things and I obey you, life is going to be much more enjoyable. I claim that. But I have to work at it. Now, I'm not earning my salvation. I want you to understand that. I'm not earning my way into heaven. I am simply developing and maintaining a closer relationship with God. That's where our joy is found. Now you'll, if we would ever have the misfortune of going home and finding our house burned down to the ground and realize, oh, now what do I do? We'll quickly learn where our priorities are, won't we? Now there's nothing wrong with sorrowing over the loss of some things, but who gave us those things? And who can take them away? And perhaps sometimes God's got to take them away because our focus is here and not there. So I'm going to get this out of the way so you'll focus on me. I want you. Do we get that, folks? Almighty God, the creator of this universe, wants your personal attention. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> But he does. So much so, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die so I can have a relationship with him. I don't know about you, but I, every time I think about it, it just blows my mind. Because I know what I'm like. Do you know what you're like? God knew what I was going to be like, and he saved me anyways. Back to verse 17. That we may be complete, thoroughly equipped everything we need to enjoy life is here and we can look at other verses we don't have time to look at them this morning but look at Galatians 5 13 Colossians 3 23 Matthew 28 20 verse 28 those verses teaching the number one thing we need to do with our lives is to turn our heart into a servant's heart Christ came as a servant we need to be a servant the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. For every good work. Now, every good work doesn't mean this makes me look good. Every good work means it makes Christ look good. That's what it's all about. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I can quote that one because that's what we was raised with as kids. Whatsoever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We cannot go wrong meditating on the Word of God. Our last point here. Take another half hour, but we'll get done. Now, the Bible is our revelation of God. Now, we know God is out there because we have creation. It had to come from Him. But the Bible reveals more about Him than we can ever find in nature. It's a means of developing a relation, an intimate relationship with Him. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's the hope of our redemption, John 3.16, which we all know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's our hope of eternal life. 1 Timothy 
makes it perfectly clear. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. I know without a shadow of a doubt, should I drop dead right now, I'm going to heaven, and that's where I'm going to spend eternity. Not because I deserve it, but because of what Jesus Christ did on my behalf. My eternity is secured. It's the hope of a glorious eternity. Again, we can't take time, but you want to know what the glorious eternity is going to be somewhat like? I don't think it's anywhere near expanded like where we're going to see it. But read Revelation 21 as it explains about the new heaven and the new earth. It is going to be awesome. None of this that we have around here now. And then as history begins to unfold and we get more and more nervous about it, it gives us our means of understanding history. And the last one I want us to look at, Galatians 5. It's our source of peace. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. How many of us would like to have all those eight characteristics in our lives? Who wouldn't? And it comes from being obedient to the Word of God. It's a promise that comes because of this book. God will not break His promises. So if you want peace, you want joy, you want love, you've got to dig into the book. Now, I know some of us don't like to read very well. Studying is not something that thrills us much. But let me ask you this. Let's say there's a camera in the sky, and uh, let's we'll use Mark for example. Mark, in your backyard, there's at least a half a million dollars worth of gold and diamond in your backyard. That's all they tell you. It's on your property. How hard would you work to find it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who wouldn't, you know? In fact, uh, we've had the gas company say, we're going to drill uh, some gas here in Colfax, and, and if you've got mineral rights, we want to give you $1,000 per acre um, so we can drill it. So we, we got our check. But if they told me there was gold back there, I'd be getting me a backhoe, and I'd be digging until I found it. Right? Yeah, I would too. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we got something far better than that right here. Are we willing to dig it out? We gotta dig it out. It's there. And I tell you, I'd rather study this than dig. <laughs> That's hard work. We get the point, don't we? This book, we need to appreciate what it is. And this week, let's take time to thank God for the book that He has given us that introduces us to Him, our need of salvation, and can make life as much as it's possible this side of heaven. Enjoy it. That's His promise. Father, thank You for the Word of God. It is precious. Help us, Father, to make it more precious to us. Help us to want to dig into it and look for those precious things that are there and enjoy them. Because, Father, there's only one way to get to know You and appreciate and enjoy the pleasures that you have for us. And that's by discovering you 
and who I am and how we can relate together through the Word of God. Help us, Father, from this day forward to work more diligently at meditating on your Word and studying the God of this book. We know to give you the glory and the praise for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.